USA International Network. Come on. I am the legendary Burl Bear, the program, True Crime, Uncensored. I can see from here, manager to the star, Howard Lapidus. This whole kick about what comes together, what does Encino bring together? Industry and Nature and Mark C.G. Boyer. We've been gone two or three weeks, but the feedback has been waiting for us. Yes. Dr. Scott Bond, former media maven at NBC. I think when they left, they gave both washer and dryer as a consolation prize. <laughs> well, we've had uh, we've had Dr. Scott Bond on the show several times, and usually he and I agree on just about everything. But today, I'm going to wrestle him two out of three falls on something. But we'll get to that. He's got a brand new book that's uh, about why we love serial killers, and I think he means that euphemistically. I mean, of course, some people want to stoop him, but. Oh, stop it. <laughs> Yo, how is it that you can't get four and a half minutes into the show without some sort of... Oh, okay. Some sort I mean, of... Who am I? Let's, you know. It's like Sam Kinison's bit on uh, homosexual necrophilia. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you want to hear, hear that bit right now, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. <laughs> well, I would be no, dead the no. way you did it. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it hey, Scott, sorry to ignore you. Uh, welcome back to the show. Tell us what prompted you besides money, to write this new book? Great question. Well, it, it's, it, the main title is Why We Love Serial Killers, and the subtitle is The Curious Appeal of the World's Most Savage Murderers. And what led me to write this is, I, as you said up front, Burl, I am both a criminologist and a former media executive. And when I worked at NBC, and uh, along with the uh, stint before that in advertising and, and uh, various permutations, it became very apparent to me bad news, and in particular crime news, is a product just like anything else. It's packaged up and it's sold, and, and the more sensationalized, the better. And boy, do we do that with serial killers. We turn these guys into what I call celebrity monsters, larger-than-life celebrity monsters, oh, okay. and they become... They become brand names. Son of Sam is a brand name. Jack the Ripper is a brand name. The Boston Strangler, on and on. Well, and do we so have much- cereals like breakfast cereals named after these people? Who owns the rights? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the Rights Krispy Killer. That's ex- exactly right. The Rights Krispy Killer. Um, the Raisin Brand Killer. No, we're, we're, we're not talking about those kind of killers. We're talking about Son of Sam and BTK. Well, yeah, and, did and someone and- register those as brand names? If you you know if you Google one of these guys, you're going to get oftentimes millions of hits. And in fact, there's you, you can buy uh, Jeffrey Dahmer onesies for your baby. You can buy um, the artifacts and mementos of these individuals. Hey, Scott, I got to back up. Who's who's selling and who's making money on the Jeffrey Dahmer stuff now? And else well, it, it depends what you're talking about. If you're talking about actual, like, mementos and what so-called murderabilia, which is really, really popular, I mean, you can actually buy, like, uh, Ted Bundy's toenails, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, well, we uh, had, uh, was it uh, Kevin Sullivan sent us uh, actual pieces of Ted Bundy's uh, kill bag, his uh, hefty bag that he had his stuff in. There you go. There you go. You can you can buy baggies of soil from Jeffrey Dahmer's backyard where he buried people. Now, the answer to your question, who gets money for this stuff? Well, you know, a lot of these serial killers are dead. It's individuals, collectors, who somehow get their hands on this stuff, and they're able to sell it. And it's perfectly legal as long as the money is not going to the, uh, killer, the, the killer. So or, I, could, or the, I, I could go to my backyard. And start yeah, right. no, seriously. I, dig I, up all I, the dead I, I could I, I could dig up genius. I could dig up um, I could dig up uh, like, mounds of mounds of. Uh, 
Well, you could just dig up dirt and sell it. I could just dig up yep. dirt and sell it, right? And say it's, and yep. say well, it's a bunch of stuff. As P.T. Barnum said, there's one born every minute and two to take them. So, sure, you could do that. Some of these serial killers, they actually have people authenticate their stuff. Well, how do you, now, do, how do, you uh, do that? Well, here's a perfect example of it. And this actually happens uh, uh, retroactively or after his death. The, uh, you, you're probably familiar with um, Richard Ramirez, the, yeah, the night course. stalker. Yeah, love the guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he married, he married one of his groupies. In fact, he had groupies who were just following him and, and writing him letters and love notes, oh, and they yeah. would they would they would swoon over him in uh, in court, you know, boy. during his trial. Well, anyway, he married one of his uh, his groupies, and uh, what uh, he died last year of natural causes, actually, in prison while he was on death row. He was on death row for decades, and his wife, uh, the former groupie, said that she would commit suicide herself the day that he was executed. Well, she, she was uh, granted a reprieve because he died of natural causes, so she didn't have to do that. But what she does now is she makes money by authenticating his stuff. So if you buy a Richard Ramirez bloody shirt or something like that, it comes from a letter, or along with a letter from his uh, widow that says, yes, in fact, Richard wore this when he slaughtered a family of five or, some, or whatever. I've got some good ideas for her. Yeah, we could do a whole <laughs> bunch of spinoffs. <laughs> That's uh, that's yep. fairly sick, by the way. Yep. Uh, well, yep. I think it was uh, David Lore. I think was on the show uh, several years, about five years ago, to trying to campaign against murderabilia. But it's hey, it's you know free market, free enterprise. Yeah, absolutely. As long as the money is not going directly to the uh, the killer himself or herself, it's perfectly legal. And um, there are uh, people who are outraged by this. There's a guy by the name of um, Andy Cahan, actually. He's a... Um, oh, that's who we uh, had on the show. Yeah, that was, that was a, yeah, he's a victim advocate in Houston, and he's really, uh, you know, kind of to put the, you know, stomp this stuff yeah, out. that show but, is in our archives, by the way. If you want to listen to the whole thing, you can go on the Outlaw Radio USA. Why don't you plug one of your books? Oh, yeah. yeah, well, I'm just plugging if people well, want to hear we, Andy's rant. Can we plug uh, our guest's book? What's yes, it called? Yes, we will. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, uh, are you familiar with the, with what an anti-hero is? And it, yeah, well, absolutely. And in, in many ways, um, some of these serial killers are almost like anti-heroes. Okay, so you yeah. think about um, classic fictionalized depictions. Yeah, uh, Dracula. Dracula is a perfect example. Well, um, is he necessarily a serial killer or is he just, you know, bloodthirsty? Well, he's erotic. Vampires are erotic. Uh, I'm thinking of, if think of uh, some of my favorite uh, films from the 50s and 60s. Like, uh, is, that the, is that the film, How to Use a Microphone? <laughs> no, it's not. How to Use a Microphone. It's difficult. Um, yeah, Vincent Price comes to mind with his two Dr. Fives films. Oh, sure. Theater, yeah. Blood. Theater of Blood is where I was my going. Favorite, That's yeah. with, Diane, with Diane Rigg. Yeah. Diana Rigg. Um, it, it's it's so difficult, literally, to create an anti-hero that you care about. Yep. Literature? Li- through literature, through the films, media, to create an anti-hero that somebody actually <laughs> roots that for. <laughs> well, in, that in, a way, you know, in, his, in his way, um, Hannibal Lecter, who is probably the most iconic fictionalized serial killer of all time, right. and in fact, 
it, he almost bleeds over, pardon the pun, into the real world because I, part of one of the arguments of my book is that in the mind of the public, in the mind of many, many people, there's very little distinction between Jeffrey Dahmer, the real serial killer, and Cannibal, and Hannibal Lecter, the real, the why, fictionalized why serial killer. Why is a big difference? Why, why Hannibal Lecter? Why the, the, the massive? I mean, people spend fortunes. To either watch a movie about Hannibal Lecter, read a book about Hannibal Lecter, or get memorabilia about why on a fictionalized character is it so huge? It's actually, I would say, almost bigger than Jeffrey Dahmer financially. Well, he he, he connects, he resonates with the with uh, the public because he's the everyman, and in fact, he's the he's beyond the everyman. He's the genius, you know. He's he's larger than life. He and was crazy. Uh, Wait a minute. He's sitting in that cell. And people saw. I was. I was afraid to be in the movie theater. To be honest, <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. It was. It was. Well, it was that great. is, and, and that is part of the appeal of serial killers in general. They scare the bejesus out of it, and, and, and it's it, it, as smart as he it, is. It gives us an adrenaline rush. I mean, that's part of the appeal of, of serial killers, both fictional and uh, in fact, is that incredible, uh, visceral appeal. Okay, the adrenaline I rush. Take, of it all. I want to take it to the next level, and that is you the go- next level is if you have if you have this for serial killers and lesbians. That scene with uh, Jodie Foster, there's no stopping it. Yes. Now, now, where I'm going is, now if, you, if you look back, let's say Frankenstein, Dracula, the Wolfman, scared the bejesus out of people. But then it gets to the point where it's Abbott and Costello meet Dracula, Frankenstein, the Wolfman, the Mummy. And they are divested of their fear and they almost become lovable. you got cartoon movies. Uh, was it Transylvania well, 65,000? Well, Bugs Bunny and the, uh, that, that big, giant, green, furry thing that, he chased, that chased him around the castle. Yeah, one of Burl Bear? No. Um, I think there's a, there's a difference, Burl, between the characters you mentioned and what we're actually, what we're Yeah, but it's still for. that fear factor. He's talking about modern monsters. But, but the, the, a monster is fictional where a human being, even though it's a fictional story, is not. I think there's a difference but between them. A big a part of the argument of my book is that the entertainment media, the news media, uh, law enforcement authorities, and the public also participate in glorifying and yes. creating celebrity monsters out of these individuals and turning them, them into now, actual Scott, have monsters. You, have you seen, and it's on YouTube if you haven't seen it, is our friend Hart Fisher's appearance on Sally Jesse Raphael with the uh, victims of families from Jeffrey Dahmer? Have you seen that? I haven't seen it, no. Yeah, Tell us about it. Uh, okay, it's, uh, we had uh, Hart on the show. He's on there, and he'd done the comic book, Young Jeffrey Dahmer, right? And it, right, was, it wasn't right. a funny comic book. It was basically showing the guy's a jerk. But the family is saying, you are exploiting our pain. You are exploiting us. Of course, he's making like, you know, bupkis off of this thing, right? Or bupkis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he says, no, the one who is exploiting is this show. And he explains mm-hmm. exactly how it works, just like you said at the very beginning. You know, this is promoted, this builds the audience, this sells the commercials, and it was stunning. I mean, he just laid it out beautifully, exactly what was going on. So so, so that's a problem for you? No, it's no, not a problem at all, but people don't stop to think about that. Okay, let's talk, that's about, right. let's talk about Casey Anthony and Jody Arias. Why? <laughs> well, because of because, because they're attractive young women, white that's women. Right. That's the reason, Especially right there. Jody getting poked in the poop shoot every but five is, minutes. But is that does that constitute a serial killer? No, it, it's a, no, no, that, no, it's no, not but, a serial killer, but, but it's a murderer. So I have to ask you. you would, uh, if, hang if, on, let's if Jody this. Arias, if Jody Arias was a a homely Korean man, we wouldn't even know who it is. 
It's because she's an attractive young white woman. That's the reason we even you know who it. she is. You got it. Same thing, uh, dead baby of the week syndrome. You're, you're familiar with that. Oh, we have the. Uh, yep. Yep. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This, absolutely. Week is, this week it's throw the baby in the back seat and, 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 and roll cook up all the, the windows. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Try to think of any missing person who hasn't been an attractive white woman. You know, like, like don't we care when Korean men go missing or no, black of men not. or. Well, well, black children. No, you well, can have all the black children that, missing you, know, you want. What city some years ago where the, all the kids went missing on the, around the river? The River Keller? Oh, oh Art Linkletter. Art Linkletter. <laughs> the Art Linkletter? What? what? Uh, was, so kids I, say the darndest things, not kids die the darndest ways. So, Scott, so define it for us. I mean, define it. Define What, what do you want give me to this, define? Give this, a, give this a definition. Give us some context. It's like you see, when I say Jody Arias and, and uh, Casey Anthony, you go white women, that's the fascination. Or he'll, uh, uh, Mark over there will not, talk. Not the fascination, sex, you know, sex and, and attract, uh, attractiveness sells. The news media knows that, so that's what they focus on and that's what they, what they present. Usually the attractive white woman is a victim in these crime stories, but she can be the perpetrator too. And run, Casey baby, Anthony run. and Jody and, and Jody Arias, of course, is the uh, the queen. You know, the current queen of of, of that. Oh, but, I think um, Casey Anthony's the winner. She's out of jail. Yeah, but she was innocent anyway. <laughs> the poor thing can't get any work. You know, she's no. even she even in porn. She can't even get a decent did, job in porn. Did you say the poor thing? Or the she's made any money. So you have you have uh, you have uh, sympathy and compassion, or, or I'm, I'm, being, I'm being I'm being somewhat I'm being somewhat ironic that's and sarcastic. Okay. Yes, that's what I thought. <laughs> I don't think she did it, but uh, don't ask. You don't think she did it? No, hell no. No, she was coming for her dad. Hmm. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. I have a... Um, yeah, go ahead, Mark. Correct, correct me if, uh, if, if you disagree, but I think one of the things about some of the individ- some of the fictionalized individuals we're talking about is the quality of the characterization that was presented. And, and, and what, in the specific case of Annabelle Lecter, um, it was the portrayal of the character, Anthony Hopkins, that actually turned the character into something that's like... He was only on screen for 18 minutes. Um, whatever amount of time he was on, it was riveting. Well, also, a very interesting thing, that year, only six months before Jeffrey Dahmer first gone to the news and was captured... Uh, Hannibal Lecter was in the theaters in Silence of the Lambs. So those two things happened. I talk about this quite a bit in my book, how the two things became almost synonymous with one another. And, and that's what I mean when I say in the mind of the public, public, it's all popcorn entertainment. Jeffrey Dahmer is the same as Hannibal Lecter to the average person until the boogeyman shows up at your front door. You know, if Jeffrey Dahmer shows up at your, at your front door, suddenly you got a problem. But until then, as long as it's just in newspapers and movies and books, games, videos, etc., it's just popcorn entertainment, and this, the whole thing is blurred. This goes back to what I'm sure you're familiar with, the concept of what we call the, the spect- spectator society. Yes, for, exactly. Would you elaborate on that for our audience who's not familiar with the term? Yeah, it, we, basically, we are you know in a in a situation now of uh, voyeurism and twenty four seven exposure to uh, terrorism you know around the world to uh, uh, plague famine I mean uh, serial killers you name it and we also 
are desensitized. There's just so much of this stuff out there that it has to be bigger, 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 supersized my serial killer in order for it to even break through and have an impression. And that's why I, we, we turn these into, I say we, we as a society, which includes law enforcement, the news media, the entertainment media, the public itself, we all orchestrate to create these individuals and turn them into these uh, larger-than-life Monsters, now, then you call. have a situation such as with Dan Zapansky's excellent book, uh, The Shall We Dance Killer, mm-hmm. where this guy became committed the most horrendous, horrific murder imaginable because he wanted to be known as the guy who did the most horrible murder imaginable. This was right. going to be his claim to fame. That's Sounds, the whole absolutely. reason he did it. Sounds like Ken, well, Kevin Spacey. Well, the reason, you know, yeah. in my book, I extensively go into the story of both David Berkowitz, the son of Sam, and De- uh, Dennis Rader, who called himself Buying, Torture, Kill. And my part of my uh, argument that I make in my book is the serial killers themselves participate in this process of creating their persona, well, their creating their identity. Are enormous. Their ego is coming to the courtroom 20 minutes before the judge. Exactly. And, and uh, Bind, Torture, Kill, BTK, named himself. Uh, Son of Sam named himself, as did a number of, of others, even perhaps uh, including uh, Jack the Ripper, perhaps named himself, supposedly as a letter. Uh, but now... BTK, he was so narcissistic. And by the way, my book comes out uh, on October seventh. And October, is your picture on the cover? <laughs> yeah, here you go. And, and, and this October marks forty years to the month that BTK Dennis Rader, for the first time, sent a letter to the police saying, "How many people do I have to kill before I start to get some publicity? Call me, fine, torture, Call my kill." Agent. <laughs> hey, yep. Scott. Yep. We're going to take a 60-second break, then we'll be back, and we'll discuss serial killers, sociopaths, and psychopaths are true crime uncensored. Superficial and charming. <laughs> I'm glad you find that amusing. That's on the psychopath checklist. <laughs> hey, uh, Dr. Robert Hare, who was uh, the world's leading expert on psychopaths, uh, consulted with me, or I consulted with him, on my uh, first page of true crime book, uh, Murder in the Family. And uh, you should buy that because it's going to be remaindered soon and I won't make another damn dime off of it unless you buy it real fast and I get my rights back. So go online and buy Pinnacle True Crime, and do it real quick, because, God, I love those royalty checks. And now, let's go back to True Crime Uncensored, and we're going to talk to uh, Scott Bond, better known as Doc Bond, about psychopaths, sociopaths, suicide, and effective marketing on True Crime Uncensored. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Welcome back to True Crime Uncensored on Outlaw Radio USA. I am the legendary Burl Bear. got Howard Lapidus, manager to the star, who has got a bunch of narcissists on his program lately. And we have Mark C.G. Boyer, our producer, what's his name, Matt Allen. 
And our guest, Scott Bond, a former NBC executive and now a criminologist, sociologist, and pretty glib, too, and got superficial charm and he's manipulative. He has no guilt, remorse. <laughs> What I'm reading off of is Dr. Robert Hare's uh, psychopath checklist. Now, you're not supposed to just read this and then look at everyone in your family and go, oh, God. <laughs> but there are traits. Now, here is where I, I get to raise an issue with you. In uh, a recent article you wrote for Psychology Today, you were talking about the difference between sociopaths and psychopaths. And, mm -hmm. you, and you characterize sociopaths as not being able to hold a gig, you know, of, of being on the fringe of society. And yet, Dr. Hare said the majority of sociopaths that he came across was the Vancouver Stock Exchange before it was regulated. <laughs> and I've been in radio a long time, and I have met a lot of program directors that I would say qualify as sociopaths. Is, you know, what's this thing? I mean, I disagree with you about them not being able to hold a gig. Well, that's, I think, a misrepresentation of my uh, what I said about them not being able to hold a gig. The, there, you have to understand there's a spectrum you know, of, of sociopathy and psychopathy. There's not just it's not just uh, you know you, you either are or you aren't. It's, there's a there's, I think I have uh, over the years uh, yeah, one or two. Especially in media, <laughs> do you think that there's more sociopaths and psychopaths in broadcasting and show business than elsewhere? <laughs> well, uh, anecdotally, I will say yes, because uh, that has been a lot of my experience. There are many other fields that I haven't dabbled in, but, uh, but yes, I have, I have known quite a few uh, narcissistic individuals. Give, us, it some, give, us, some <laughs> give us some names and addresses and IMDb numbers. <laughs> <laughs> There's some big egos out there. <laughs> well, I used to hear about Sid Caesar, where he'd be walking or, or driving into the studio and so say, hey, Sid. I'd love the show, and he'd go beat him up. <laughs> I, um, uh, I I need to give just a uh, an unabashed plug here, but I, I talk quite a bit about sociopaths and psychopaths as it relates to serial homicide in my book. And uh, by the way, it's uh, available right now for pre-order on Amazon and, and uh, Barnes and Noble and many of the other sites for a twenty percent pre-order discount. Hey, and we you like don't. That. And you don't pay until October, until the book is shipped. So uh, go online if you if you are so inspired and why we love serial killers. I tell you, when you got your very first copy of your first book and you saw your name on it, did you kind of get all giddy? Yeah, I'm pretty psyched. As a matter of fact, I have an advanced reading copy uh, lying in front of me right now, which is not the you know the final the final edition, but it's uh, uh, it pretty good. I'm, I I would buy it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> You say that now, wait 10 years and then read it. <laughs> That's the curse of being an author. You go back and you read your earlier books and you go, oh, God. <laughs> now, we, 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 I want to move on to two, to two other topics. We have time because we've got about another 20, 20 25 minutes. Uh, you had a fascinating article uh, recently on why the United States, Israel, Korea, Iraq, China... These countries refuse to sign the war crimes treaty, while most of our allies have, but we, we haven't. Mark. I think you're talking about the Rome Statute, which right. would automatically uh, put into force the, uh, the, the authority of the International Criminal Court. We, we do not, I mean, the, the bottom line, just to make it, make it real um, you know, clear, is that we do not recognize formally the authority of The Hague, the International Criminal Court. 
And the reason for that is? No, well, the, the reason is very self-serving. It's not, it's not in the U.S.'s best interest to, to do so, and which I find you know, kind of interesting and hypocritical since we really co-authored the, uh, the, the laws of war um, through the Geneva Conventions and the Nuremberg Charter after World War II, but we just don't see that it's in our best interest to, um, you know, to, to have this in force um, on our population, and yet we expect other people to. I mean, basically, mo- almost all of our allies, certainly in Western Europe and Japan and Australia and everybody else, they they um, uh, uh, abide by the by the, uh, the the authority of the International Criminal Court. Mm-hmm. We, um, you know, we do not. One of the main arguments, uh, whether whether it's valid or not, but one of the main arguments is that it exposes American citizens to uh, political or unjustified uh, persecution and prosecution. Which is really interesting. That was actually a direct quote of George W. Bush, and that was uh, about six months before he launched an illegal war on Iraq. He <laughs> made that statement. So in other words, uh, both he and our current uh, administration, if we were signatories to that treaty, would both be in violation of it. Absolutely, absolutely. Which is, you know, by the way, the, the reason that that George W. Bush has sat in Crawford uh, pretty much nonstop since he left office, and you're not going to see Dick Cheney, hello, I like shooting my best friends, going anywhere anytime soon either, is because if they go to a country such as Italy or even England that is uh, very, uh, you know, supportive of the International Criminal Court and recognizes the authority, these guys could be actually be arrested and hauled off to the Hague. Well, couldn't the same thing happen to our current president? Uh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Sure. So the drone attacks and stuff like that? Absolutely. Well, see, so that just makes it all so fascinating. Because that puts us into the same little camp there with the North Korea and... Uh... It's called going to break. Oh, is that what oh, that's, that's called? What We're going to take a 60-second break to uh, sign the uh, right. <laughs> the Rome sign the Magna Carta. <laughs> sign the Magna Carta. Then we want to come back and talk about the depressing subject of suicide. That'll lighten everything up. We'll be right back in 60 seconds on True Crime Uncensored. Call me irresponsible. Zach Gustine, and if you own a cell phone, and we know you do, or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com, the smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know the demons of decadence. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. See that, Mark? You stay on script. Yes, of course. Burl Baron. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Welcome back to True Crime Uncensored on Outlaw Radio USA. I am legendary Howard Peter, Badger to the Star, and a real live show business legend. Glib <laughs> and superficial. Doesn't that put me on that list? <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. That's Mark C.G. Boyer. Yeah, Mr. Empathy. And we have Dr. Scott Bond, better known as Doc Bond or Scott or Hey You. Uh, uh, hey, hey, to the guy that used to be at NBC. 
<laughs> yes, indeed. Now, do your former accomplices, I mean, former co-workers at uh, the network, do they look askance at you that you've got a real gig now? They, uh, I haven't heard from them lately, uh, so well, I don't know. All those guys, are, they're all out of gigs, too, so don't worry about it. They're done. <laughs> you moved on just at the right time. I decided to go into, you know, study crime and get involved with, with uh, crime because I knew it was a booming industry. And uh, <laughs> I, I got out of the corporate world right around after 9-11 when the economy was tanking. And I said, you know what, what's a booming industry? Crime. Crime. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, let's get that market share. <laughs> and drag him kicking and screaming through the quarter hours. <laughs> and, and, and you were in show business, so you have a unique eye for a criminal. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, I even tease my students. They, they they say, "Well, how'd you get from advertising and media and all that stuff, you know, into criminology?" And I said, "It's it's very easy. I used to be a successful white collar criminal." <laughs> <laughs> what's the what's the, tell us? You have a secret. What, what's the secret? What did you? What did you manipulate? What did you see? What did you <laughs> Specifics later, my friend. Okay. Yeah, the, the statute of limitations isn't up yet. We had, Scott, one of our guests, we said, have you ever murdered anybody? He goes, what's the statute of limitations on that? <laughs> <laughs> then we oh, took a good. break and his lawyer told him to shut up. Oh, okay, I know we're having so much fun, I almost don't want to get into suicide. But before we do, I've got to ask you a question because this has come up. I don't know if you saw the argument about you on my page on facebook where uh, i think it was zach uh zach Costine, who's a regular on outlaw radio was uh as they say not everything is political but anything can be politicized so when you wrote your book your thesis mass deception the moral panic uh, you know that one you remember right. writing that the question is and i i have said that when someone is doing a research paper or research project in a mm-hmm. discipline you cannot mm-hmm. let whatever your particular political persuasion or whatever interfere you just use the techniques and you do the research you don't start with your conclusion and then try to prove it am i wait, correct wait 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 can i write that down yeah go ahead scott am i correct <laughs> Well, Damn, it's, it's very well stated, and I think in an ideal world, that would be nice. Theology, a guy by the name of Max Faber, said that no research is value-free. You know, we're, we're, we're human beings. We all have our biases. We all have our beliefs. Now, it was at this point of the program that we had a technical problem, and we weren't able to record the last segment of the show. But I'll bring you up to speed on what happened. We were talking to Dr. Scott Bond about suicide, and a very personal aspect of it, being as his his girlfriend took her own life just prior to Thanksgiving. So I'm going to read now from the article that uh, Scott sent to me. It says, My beautiful 48-year-old girlfriend hanged herself, and not surprisingly, it has weighed heavily on my heart and mind since then. I felt deeply the pain and despair of suicide in my own life, and I've also analyzed suicide extensively as a criminologist, and social scientist. The statistics indicate that suicide is sharply on the rise in the U.S. Moreover, they reveal that suicide patterns are changing. It is no longer concentrated primarily among isolated elderly and teenage Americans. It has been dramatically on the increase among middle-aged Americans. There's also been a dramatic increase in suicides among veterans of the Iraq and Afghanistan wars. Consider this. There are now more than two suicides 
for every murder in the U.S. And suicides also outnumber deaths in motor vehicle accidents. Now, to put this in perspective, there are currently about 15,000 murders, 33,000 auto fatalities, and 38,000 suicides in the U.S. annually. As reported in the New York Times last year, suicide rates among middle-aged Americans have risen sharply in the past decade. Now, this prompts concerns that, quote, a generation of baby boomers who have faced years of economic worry and easy access to prescription painkillers may be particularly vulnerable to self-inflicted harm. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that's the CDC, from 1999 to 2010, the suicide rate among Americans aged 35 to 64 rose by nearly 30% to 17.6 deaths per 1,000 people. That's up from 13.7. Although suicide rates are growing among both middle-aged men and women, far more men take their own lives. The suicide rate for middle-aged men was 27.3 deaths per 100,000, while for women it was 8.1. Although most suicides are still committed using firearms, officials said uh, that uh, we're seeing a lot more poisoning deaths, intentional overdoses of prescription drugs, and hangings. Poisoning deaths were up 24%, hangings 81%. The CDC's deputy director told the New York Times that the rising suicide rate among middle-aged Americans might be due to a series of life and financial circumstances that are unique to the baby boomer generation. Men and women in that age group are often coping with the stress of caring for aging parents while still providing financial and emotional support to adult children. The rise in suicides may also stem from the economic downturn over the past decade, Historically, suicide rates rise during times of financial stress and economic setback. Quote, the increase does not coincide with a decrease in financial standing for a lot of families of the same time period. The legendary 19th century social scientist Emile Durkheim, considered by many to be the founder of sociology, argued that suicide is a social fact, not an individual pathology. Using a vast amount of data from official records on suicides in different parts of Europe, Durkheim documented significant variations between countries in the rates of suicide, which he found were correlated or linked to environmental conditions. This evidence, he argued back in 1897, shows that each society has a definite aptitude for suicide, which is a social fact that is external to the the individual members of a given society. Dr. Scott Bond goes on to state, as a criminologist trained in sociology, I understand the merits and validity of his argument. I agree that the current suicide epidemic among middle-aged Americans and the dramatic rise in the overall suicide rate are social facts. In addition to those who actually commit suicide, there are countless others who chronically fantasize about ending their own lives. Most of the latter group conceal their pain and never discuss their dark thoughts openly. They may exist for years in quiet misery. Others make an attempt at suicide, but somehow survive. For them, the attempt at suicide is really a desperate cry for help. Suicide is a social fact, but the act itself is manifested at the individual level. Suicide is an individual choice, rational or not, that cannot be undone. It has powerful implications for the friends and family of those who commit suicide. 
Those changes can be overwhelming for survivors to endure and try to accept after a loved one unilaterally chooses to end his or her life. Dr. Bond goes on to state, My former girlfriend's suicide has deeply and profoundly affected me intellectually. I understand that she chose suicide because living another moment was unbearable for her and she was unable to reach out for help. Although I am grateful that she is no longer suffering horribly in silence, my acceptance of her choice is still a work in progress. If you or someone you know needs help, visit the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline online. It's suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Or simply pick up the phone, call 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. And that's the show this week. Thanks to Dr. Scott Bond for being our guest. And thanks to Howard and Mark and Matt Allen. See you next week on True Crime Uncensored on Outlaw Radio. Is there unemployment after death? Could be. After all, you can't get a job without experience. And as the next world is purely spiritual, if you haven't developed your spirituality, you'll be on welfare. Plan for a good, stable future after you've passed on. Have good credentials, praiseworthy virtues, positive attributes, and characteristics. The Baha'i Faith invites you to develop your spiritual nature now before you die. It beats on-the-job training. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. Live from the gleaming, streamlined, state-of-the-art studios of OutlawRadioUSA.com. Oh, ouch. Ooh, crash. Move back. Just lean back, Howard. Lean back. <laughs> Damn. Wow. Here we go. Years of broadcasting. Oh. True Crime Uncensored, produced by Magic Man Allen on the Yellow Radio Network. I am the legendary Burl Bear, and the man I can see from here 
Oh, he's so dear. Manager to the star, parentheses, S, close parentheses, Howard Lapidus, and our fact checker, Mark C.G. Boyer, and Doc Bond. Scott Bond is back. He's not black, but he has a plan to stick it to the man. <laughs> Hiya, Hiya, Scott. I'm doing well. How are you, bro? Ruthless laughing. Well, he's he's in media. <laughs> Howard, Howard, I seriously worry for our host. Yeah, uh, no, you don't. No, uh, I've given up on that part. Uh, Scott Bond used to be a big shot at uh, at NBC, and then he decided, "What's a smooth transition? I'll become a criminologist." <laughs> well, yeah, I mean that, that that is very true. And my students ask me, they say, "How did you get from advertising and media?" into criminology and I and I tell them I said it's very simple I used to be a very successful white collar criminal exciting a little late on the rim shot. Michael Gordine, uh, the most corrupt cop on the NYPD and an often contributor to the program posted an interesting thing uh, and we, we call it the uh, in media we call it the media magic act that's where you make stories disappear mm. <laughs> oh we do that all the time yeah, but, uh, it's, but, but it's it's and it's not even magic anymore. It's just you may you, you find something else and you just pump the hell out of it. And it, it looks that way because that's what you see. It, you know, when you see the magic happen on the stage, it looks like that's what it is. It's not that at all. It's not how it works. How does it work? Well, Scott, will uh, will hallucinate for us. I mean, yeah, in all seriousness, if somebody's really smart, and let's put it, let's use Donald Sterling as an example, who's really not smart, but if. Let's say somebody's really smart and they get themselves in a jam. Like Donald Sterling was in a jam with those tapes and he was losing his team and it was just not a good good period of time for the guy and he had nobody with him. He had nobody coaching him, he had nobody have, writing for him, he had nobody telling him what to say. And, and that he desperately needed. He finally uh, hired a publicist that had to clean up his mess twice. And, and, and it, almost an impossible task. But what you do is if 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 somebody came to me, let's pretend it's just somebody, a friend, and said um, X, Y, and Z happened to me. I did this. Uh, it's going to blow up on uh, not only the social, on not only social media, but it's going right to Star and the National Enquirer, and probably even <coughs> Fox News. And then it's going to drift into traditional yeah. media. And my career is going to be over. It might even drift to NBC. Does this guy play football? No, the guy could be playing football. The guy could be an attorney. The guy could be almost anybody. Is he right so far, Scott? That has a profile. I haven't gotten the good part. Okay. Yeah. All that stuff can happen. They come to me and I send them to a specialist. Yeah. Because there are specialists. Like scandal. Well, scandal, they, it's, it's almost kind of like that. It's somebody that, uh, uh, let's say in PR, uh, I would go to a uh, an absolute spin doctor. They grow, they're called spin doctors. Well, so a spin doctor is a regular PR person. I'm talking about uh, the guys I'm talking about sit there uh, and have a big board table, and around the board table sits a variety of people, maybe twenty or thirty of them, and nobody's in that room unless they've edited a newspaper, uh, been the uh, the managing editor of any kind of a national television show. That's how they get in that room. That's how they work there. They're paid a lot of money. And the guy that runs the place pays a lot of money. And they sit there and they'll throw this stuff around and they have the reach and the ability to put a story away overnight. Mm -hmm. and called, there's actually a term for it in communication research, um, communication studies, it's called agenda setting. Yeah. And if you think about it, 
news is not inherently news. News is because someone said so, and someone has the uh, the power, the ability to make it, uh, the story, the um, uh, you know the the information soundbite of the day. And that right. is tremendous power. The with, tremendous power, the ability to do with, that. With these guys that that I bring into it, they're they're sixty thousand dollars to say hello. And by the time you, you work with them a week, the sixty thousand is eaten up, and you're into another sixty, if not more. But with these guys, their whole thing is control the dialogue. You mm -hmm. must control the dialogue. If you control the dialogue, you you control the situation, and it goes away. Well, I noticed that Ferguson vanished off my TV set the minute an NFL guy bops his wife in the jaw. Yeah, that just happened. That that just that's got to do. Would you agree that I think that it, that was a matter of timing? That wasn't brought on um, well, to make Ferguson go away. No, we're not. Like I say, it wasn't brought on to make it go away. But if you focus on that, it, it serves a variety of emotional needs. No, it was it was it was targeted at the NFL directly. What the the, the timing uh, of the release? The time about the timing of the release was yeah, it had nothing to do with Ferguson. Though. Yeah, nothing. The timing of the release, the, the timing of the release had everything to, had everything to do with the opening uh, weekend of the National Football, Football League. League. Yes. It's that simple. It was to to disrupt the opening of the National Football League and grab the story, and they did. Well, they they grabbed it. So what do you say, yeah, well, Scott? It, you know, it, it, it's uh, you know, it's it's uh, sleight of hand, or you know, it's sort of like a uh, the media version of three card Monty. You know, don't mm -hmm. look at this hand. You know, what's happening? The the real show is on the other hand. You know. So uh, absolutely, you know, you can you can create uh, uh, a diversion. But you know, I've I've all as someone who worked in in that world for for quite a while, um, I was you know it was it was uh, amazing to me just how much power is concentrated in, in really you know a few hands. Uh, the, the the largest hundred media companies in the world are all owned. By uh, you know, about five conglomerates, and uh, you know the vast majority of television stations, radio stations, uh, newspapers, uh, and you know online media. It, 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 very few uh, companies control uh, that uh, you know, the dissemination of information. Yeah, You know, you know the Wall Street Journal. By the way, this is my favorite thing. A lot of people don't know this. Yeah, you respect the Wall Street Journal, right? Supposedly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Mark, Wall Street Journal. Um, it, seem, it seems to have had some credibility in the past. Okay. Uh, uh, Scott, how are you with the Wall Street Journal? Well, it, it, it's, it has had some credibility in the past, is what I would say. It's it's changing hands, we know. Oh, yeah. it's it, Burnock owns it. Yeah. <clears throat> Did some young moon have it? Well, they file, the stories are filed out of Fleet Street in London. So you tell me what that's all about. Wall Street uh, Journal, Wall Street Journal is complete crap. It's total garbage and total bullshit. Uh, who was it that said uh, you write the headlines and also that was uh, that was uh, William Randolph Hearst in regards to the Spanish American War sends a reporter down to Cuba about the war and he says I could send you back prose poems but uh, there's no war and he says you provide the prose poems I'll provide the war. Yeah. Do, do you know that I, I believe um, maybe sixty percent sixty percent of what I read in the Los Angeles Times. I believe 99.9% of what I read in the National Enquirer. And I mean that statement. I mean it, and I'll tell you why. I know for a fact that American media, who owns National Enquirer and Star Magazine, etc., vet those stories beyond the sh a shadow of a doubt now. They do not want to be sued. They have been sued in the past. They don't want to go through any of that again, and they would rather pay the lawyers up front. And be, be uh, have it be a problem. A friend of mine was was the 
editor in chief and the public uh, uh, one one down from the publisher of, of uh, Star Magazine, and, and I had a problem, and I knew that they were going to put a client of mine on the cover of their magazine. So I figured, well, I've got, I do have a silver bullet. I have her. Uh, I have half naked pictures of her. So 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 I I, I call her up. And that's actually it's just like Lily Hammer. Actually true. So so I uh, I call her up and I, I tell her. Um, look, I need some help here. This didn't happen. He really didn't do it. She goes, yes, he did. I said, you know, how do you know that he did? He says, because we don't get that far. We don't get to cover a star without knowing we got your guy. And we got him. We got him cold. I will bet my life on it. And that's when she gave me the education about, about the vetting process that goes on with Star and the National Enquirer. So those, those stories that you see, as crazy as they look and as wild as they're written, are 100% true. I was able to stall my story six weeks, and she gave me page 76. So, so that was a, fra- a favor I got. But that's, you Did know. Did you have to bring up the naked pictures? I know. No. Oh, no, she just knows I got them. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have to say a word. Yeah. She's no longer there. So it's, it nah, it's a tragic story. So uh, I bet, uh, Scott, before we get into some of the the other things that I wanted to discuss with you today, and it's always a pleasure to have you on the show, I want to plug your book, because the book is coming out any uh, moment. you got a big signing coming up in Manhattan. I know that next month in October. I'm, I'm sick and tired of uh, promoting Scott's book. Well, I'm going to do it anyway. Okay. Because uh, he has a quote from me right right on the, uh, the very first praise of the book is by me, and that promotes me, therefore I'm promoting him. Uh, I, uh, <laughs> I, am, I am no dumbbell. I am, I am constantly amazed. I sit here week after week. Yes, I don't know no what's going on. You managed to wheeze. He, he, he's, 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 he's a weasel. You, you, you know, I can get my name on every cover of every book that, that people, they come to me and they want my clients to write these things. And nobody says, well, why don't you write one? And all I have to say is, well, let me do this. I'll get my clients to do it, but I want to write one. I can't do that. But I could. And you could. On, I would be on every book. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not on too many. I'm just on ones that say, right, so what did you say? What did you say? Wait, what's the name of Scott's book? Uh, Why We Love Serial Killers The Curious Appeal of the World's Most Savage Murderers. And you open the book up and it says, Praise for Scott Bond's Why We Love Serial Killers. Powerful and a must read. Dr. Bond examines the serial killer as depicted in fact and fiction as a timeless cultural imperative, insightful, compelling, and an excellent source of myth busting information for laymen and professionals alike. Says Mark, that's the loudest damn bottle in the world. That's not part of the text, by the way. Uh, for laymen and professionals alike, says Burl Bear, award winning crime author, radio host, and very charming and self effacing handsome. Your, your credits are actually longer than your court. <laughs> I know. Um, <laughs> So what are some of the myths that get busted? Yeah, bust a, bust a move and bust a myth. All right. Uh, bust, bust a move and bust a myth. I like that. Uh, bust a rhyme. Yeah. And, uh, and Mr. Brown and his dog, too. Yeah. Well, well thank, first of all, thank, thank you Mr. very much for, uh, for, for, the, for the plug. And, hey, uh, yeah, before the, we finish with the plug, I, I'm, I'm not certain about something. When does it actually come out? When does the book actually come out? It comes out on October 7th uh, is the official release date. And but it's available right now in pre-orders with uh, something close to a forty percent uh, discount off the cover price oh, at so Amazon. If they say and, if uh, they say outlaw radio, <laughs> true crime they, uncensored. They, they 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 can say that. That's optional. They don't actually have to. But oh. but it, it, but it, it is do. Yeah. <laughs> so bust bust a myth. 
Okay, well, one of the one of the great myths about serial killers is that they are all men, and in fact, uh, nearly twenty percent of serial killers are women. And what makes that even more compelling to me as a criminologist is the fact that about ten percent of all murders are committed by women. So statistically speaking, when women kill, they're actually statistically more likely to be a multiple killer than, than to kill one time, which so, is what... So st- I think st- st- uh, statistically, I've been married to four of them. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Lucky you. <laughs> also, they tend to get away with it better because uh, women are assumed to be nurturing and compassionate and empathetic. Yeah. When the psychic, you see, here's how that That's works. BS. <laughs> let me let me explain something to you. Here's how that works. Yeah. It's pretty simple. They there's this audition period. You see, <laughs> you know, I, I was listening to Laurie's show uh, before this one, and they're talking about marriage and divorce, like it's you know, you know from, from a woman's standpoint, you know, like we're the bad guy and all, all that stuff. So so here's the deal. There's the audition period. That's when you know. I mean, do we? Does some mytho- myth- mythological thing happen that we meet somebody down at the crab shack and that was a <laughs> des- we were desperate, de- destined to be with them the rest of our life? No. We met him at the crab shack. We got a little tipsy. We went back to my place. We slept there for the night. And you know what? She never left. And, and why? Because Neither did the crabs. Well, no, everything, because everything was free. It was amazing. She had free stuff like there was no tomorrow. She never left. Well, that's and that's the mystical marriage thing going on. This doesn't sound like a fictional story. No, I don't think so. Yeah, well, you're right. Are you analyzing him as uh, he's telling this story, Scott? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just wondering how this ties into female serial killers. <laughs> it's, it's, well, they've been married to Howard for a while. Then they become, they <laughs> start having fantasies about, you know, <laughs> lobbing him off into a variety of pieces and scattering them in the desert. That's why he's so big. Yeah. <laughs> Make it difficult for him. Makes it real hard, yeah. <laughs> That's a big hole. Yeah, the, the, uh, you know, another thing about female serial killers is that their motivations, and this I guess ties directly into uh, you know what you were just saying, is that they kill for different reasons than men. So that male serial killers typically kill for power, control, um, uh, perhaps a sexual motivation, which is involved in maybe fifty percent of, of male serial killings. But for for women, it oftentimes is what's referred to as comfort or gain, comfort or financial gain. Yeah. And there, you, there's the black widow, yes, you know, the classic black widow killer. You see, women won't, won't be serial killers for sex because they do nothing for sex. <laughs> it's, 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 it's just, first of all, you know, they know, when they wake up in the morning, they know if they're having sex before they go to sleep. We do this dance like we're trying to get them to, you know, get in bed. We're, we're, no, they, they know whether they get in bed. So, so as far as serial killers go, women serial killers, yeah, they have nothing to do with it. Has nothing to do with sex. They're going to kill the guy because they hate him, or because he didn't give them money, or because their daddy hit them. And, yeah, and, and also, a lot of the female serial killers over the years have been um, uh, caretakers, you know, at rest homes and uh, for the elderly, that sort of thing. Sometimes they believe they're actually doing some, you know, mission that putting these people out of their misery. No, uh, serial killers. Yeah. Well, what about that, Scott? I mean, they really do believe that, and they're not supposed to. Yeah, but they're also keeping the guy's social security checks coming. <laughs> 
Well, that's a small yeah, well, Sophia, it's Sophia Puente, I, I don't know if you've heard of her. She was the uh, the, the rooming house killer yeah. out in California, yeah. and she was killing her, her guests and getting them to turn over their Social Security checks to her and so forth, and, and then she would bury them um, in her backyard, you know, when she was uh, when she was done with them and killed them. And this, I think we talked about this the last time I was on the show, there are these, you know, these crazy collectors of so-called murderabilia, oh, yeah. and and people buy these, you know, anything from Ted Bundy's uh, toenails yeah. to uh, you know to letters and artwork that these that these guys create. You can you can actually buy uh, little baggies full of supposedly soil from Dorothy uh, Dorothea Puente's burial ground in her backyard. And now, people buy this. <laughs> people buy this at twenty dollars a bag. How much a bag? $20 a bag. Faker used to be able to buy dope for that. Is there, let me ask you something. Is there any kind of authenticity? Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Who's, yeah. Who certifies this as authentic? I'm going somewhere with this. Yeah, so am I. Well, then, <laughs> no, I've already you, bought you, the shovel. You, you, you bring up a great a great question. I mean, a, a lot of this stuff is, is uh, you know, undoubtedly bogus. Um, the, the, the one uh, uh, serial killer who has uh, some of the greatest appeal, with the, the two serial killers whose murderabilia sells uh, the most on on online are John Wayne Gacy, the killer clown, and then um, uh, the Night Stalker, um, Ramirez. Ramirez yeah. yeah, Richard so, Ramirez. And here's the here's the one that's really funny because this it, it, it ties into groupies and, and murderabilia and, and the allure of serial killers, the whole thing is Richard Ramirez. You guys probably know married one of his groupies while he was in prison. Yeah, while why he was not? On, I mean, he's sure, I mean, he had the time. Yeah. He, yeah, and she, and of course, Ramirez died last year uh, of natural causes while he was waiting on on death row, and she had said that she was going to kill herself if and when Richard was was executed. Oh, but well, she, she did. She got she, she got a pass. She got a pass because he died of natural causes. So what she's doing now is she's authenticating his murderabilia. So when you get buy something that supposedly belonged to Ramirez, you get a little letter from uh, his uh, his widow saying that. Yes, in fact, this was uh, Richard's pair of socks that he wore on his third murder. Let me explain something. (laughs) (laughs) You know, get a shovel, seriously. Let's get a shovel, and and we'll have it authenticated by Burl Bear, true crime writer, and Dr. Scott Bond. And guys, we'll whack up the dough. 50% 50% to me, you guys get 25 each. (laughs) That's because he bought the shovel. I bought the shovel. Wait a minute. What do I get for doing the digging? No, you get minimum okay, wage. Hang on a second. It was Burl's job. Sorry. Oh. <laughs> okay, Scott. But, but I'll the, work yeah. you in. There's I'll, a, a, a cannibal. In. This guy not only kills him, he eats him. I don't mean sexually. I mean oh. devours him. This guy is getting fan mail from women who, who want, want to be with him. Yep. What the oh, hell is that about? Well, what's new there? That's a, that's a that's a great question, and you know, I I um I had an extensive conversation actually with uh, Roy Hazelwood, who is one of the um, you know the legendary profilers. Yeah, he was you know in there with uh, John Douglas and and Wrestler, uh, you know, essentially uh, uh, developed uh, criminal profiling into this you know science and art that it that it's become, and uh, and and, and uh, Hazelwood told me, and, and I absolutely agree 
that in in many cases these these women are are looking for um, uh, you know rub shoulders with you know with, for, with fame and they get sort of a you know a vicarious um, uh, thrill uh, from these individuals. In some cases, they want to get close to the crime itself. They want to feel like they were part of it. And in other instances, it's you know it's just purely the uh, for the for the infamy of, of it all. And, uh, and the, well, uh, as you know, I, I so I can plug myself again oh, and with shame of self promotion. As you know, I. I just wrote an article for Serial Killer Quarterly, the most popular magazine of serial that's, killers. Uh, that's about the funniest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> you, especially that you, 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 you flaunt it. Serial Killer <laughs> Quarterly. The magazine. It's a bit on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, I know, but it's a real thing. Yeah. And I was asked to write about the, York, real the Yorkshire Ripper. Which is why I had What's His Name, I, you know, uh, O'Gara on last week. What's his name? Mr. What's his name from Ireland who called him? Yeah, what's his name today? Yeah, Mr. O'Gara. O'Gara. Yeah, Neil O'Gara, a great guy. Anyway, uh, the Yorkshire Ripper is sitting in the mental institution, happy as a cosmic clam. He gets fan mail. Bushel barrels of fan mail. They actually use bushel barrels? Yeah, well, they don't use bushels in England. They okay. use uh, something else. They use, pe they use pecker mail. Pecker yeah. Yeah, I'm, not he doesn't. <laughs> not anymore. But, you know, hey, Scott, you would be very, very surprised to find out that we have groupies here at Outlaw Radio. Yeah, they all look like Jessica Fletcher. We're going to take a 60-second break. I would, not, <laughs> I, would, I would not be surprised. You guys are rock stars. I would not be surprised. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if we were only on death row, the mail would be back. Uh, we're going to take a 60-second break, and we'll be right back with Doc Bond on True Crime Uncensored. children, two despondent brothers, and uh, Phil didn't know he was dead until he read the newspaper. All things considered, he took it rather well. So did his brother, who received $600,000 in key man insurance. Ten years later, Harold Stigman, yes, famous restaurateur, well known for his thick, juicy steaks, is arrested by the United States Secret Service for printing counterfeit $100 bills in a tidy shed in Idaho. In addition to the bogus bills, he also has a fraudulently obtained United States passport, a fabricated Cayman Islands driver's license, and Phil Champagne's fingerprints. The book is Man Overboard, The Counterfeit Resurrection of Phil Champagne. A true crime story is a pack of lies, and it's all about fine prime rib. Comes out September 17th from Wild Blue Press. Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. 
And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. That's Roger Moore. He's 187 years old now and still looks great. Hey, to see that Ian Ogilvy, who's been on our show and is an occasional uh, guest co-host on True Crime Uncensored, has a hot new movie coming out called We Still Kill the Old Fashioned Way. Got a big write-up in GQ, Gentlemen's Quarterly, because they dress him so cool in the movie. There's a whole picture spread in GQ of Ian Ogilvy dressed to the nines. What does that have to do with anything? Well, he's just, that's just a way of plugging Ian and plugging our show and plugging Gentlemen's Quarterly. And he was. And I get a dirt bike. He did Return of the Saints. Yeah, well, if you, if you had tied that in, it would... Well, I figure people who listen to this show and hang on every yeah, word yeah, we no, say know this stuff. They don't. Hey, that's the thing. You've got to understand something, Burl. They don't hang on every word. Uh, at this moment, they're, they're not. They're probably hanging themselves after most of our words. No, they're not. That, means <laughs> that just means our audience is well hung. We have Scott Bond with us. Hang on, Burl. <laughs> Scott, Scott, hang on for a second. This is our plug. We, we did yours. All right, so, so here's the thing. <laughs> There's no question, yeah. and Scott will back me up on this because it's out there, that this is the number one true crime show. Yes, in the universe. In in uh, in the world, yes. on the internet, yeah. and any other method of distribution. We have been voted number one, we are number one, and we wear that badge proudly. Yeah. And for good reason. I use it to bust people. This is not a boring true crime <laughs> show. You can yeah. go to the other guy. We like all the other guys. They're friends of ours. But, you know, boring time. Oh, come on. They're not boring. They're fascinating no. because their guests are fascinating, like when they have Scott on. And then on. when we get the guests, <laughs> the guests have a different experience. Yeah, they don't get to talk. That's correct. Why would we why, why would we want to let our guests talk when well, we can talk? Yeah, we can hear ourselves. We have Scott Bond on three times a year. He gets to talk. Okay, Scott. Yes. Are you I still, would, I, are you still I, there? Are you over listening to someone else's show? I would I would say that what, what you just uh, uh, shared with the audience, for someone who's uh, you know, tra trained in sociology, we call that a universal truth. It's, it's, it's an irrefutable <laughs> social fact. Yes. <laughs> well, can we quote you on that, Scott? You got it. That's perfect. Boy, we got quotes now from Aaron Moriarty and Liz Wheel, and now we got Scott Bond. Bond. Doctor. Yeah. <laughs> he practices doctoring at home in his spare time. So if he goes to another country, they call him doctor. You know that? <laughs> do, hey, do, your, do your students call you doctor or Scott? Or prof, professor. They, they uh, typically call me uh, professor and uh, occasionally doctor. You know, they, and, they, and, of course, they follow the social media, and social media goes doc bond, <laughs> but I get that as well. Daddy? So do you get a kind of call him daddy? <laughs> yeah. No you, daddy. Is there kind of like a little, you know, like a ting tingle when you when you hear that? Because I, I am a I, I am a doctor also, but I don't go by it. I don't use it. So I was wondering, you know, and I was, what kind of doctor were you? I still am. Journalism, right? I'm a, I'm a fid. A fid. Yeah. PhD. Uh huh. Piled higher and deeper. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm as, college. as uh. As Dr. Evil once said, I did not go to Evil Medical School for six years to be called Mr. Thank you very much. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, so I, I'm thinking of maybe going with the doctor. I, I, I don't know. No, I guess pretentious in America. That's unless that's you're Scott. I put it away years ago. Yeah. Now, if you're in another country, they would call you Herr Doctor. Yeah. Well, where are your papers? Yeah, I have my papers. They're... Yeah, they have to be careful. So I'm going to ask a silly question. And Go ahead. It actually that's pertains that's to the, the subject yeah. for a bit. What's the, uh, you know, I mean, what are the what chances? Is it? What are the chances? Yeah. I don't know. So uh, well, besides uh, women being more prevalent as serial killers, what other surprising info might we discover in your lovely tone? Another one of the uh, uh, the myths 
is that serial killers are typically not just males, but white males. And that has a lot to do with, of course, the framing of the media that focuses on, on white males killing white females. But in fact, uh, serial killers come in every variety, every ethnicity, every race that, that one can think of. And most homicide, most homicide is intra-racial, killing within the same race. So black serial killers kill blacks, white serial killers kill whites. But the media... Yeah, what, but what about people who are multiracial? They just no, have no, a no, no. Hey, Scott, 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 Scott. How about the guys that are killing the hookers and they're black, red, and blue? You know, they're white guys that are killing hookers of all of all color. Am I wrong? A lot of, a lot of uh, even the ones killing, you know, the, the, the sex workers and, and transients, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes it's still within the, in the same race. But now you bring up another, another issue is that those victims are oftentimes not portrayed by the media as even victims. Ah, oh, she's just a prostitute. She's, yes. She's, she's just, yes, yes, yes. Well, what do you think? It's just a prostitute. Well, that's what happened with the Yorkshire Ripper, is that they didn't even investigate the cases until someone who wasn't a prostitute was killed. And we, we saw the go. same thing uh, up in Canada with the pig farmer. Well, that's it. They, they knew who was oh, doing it. They even knew who was doing the killing, you know, but they didn't want to be it, bothered. It brings me back to my theme of the day, and, and, and it's not our theme, but it happens to be mine. Um, um, the prostitutes, best deal in town. It is. It's the best deal going. <laughs> Well, it's, I mean, if you think about it, if, if you are a serial killer and you're motivated uh, at least partially by, by lust, but it's, you know, as well as control and domination, etc., et who, who, the low-hanging fruit, uh, so to speak, are prostitutes. They'll go anywhere with anybody who has the cash on, on hand. But I'll tell you, so, never, never pick up a prostitute who has a scar running across her face. You don't. You know, they know why that is? You did that once? No, well, yeah, I did, but that's, uh, that's because that's a sign that they are a snitch. They snitched on someone or ripped somebody off, and the cultural payment for that in that subculture is if you get caught having been a big snitch, is they razor slash you across your face. So if you run across one with a beautiful razor slash across your face, you don't want to deal with them. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. So, so if I was to pick up a prostitute, and I don't do that. No, no, no. Say, call. I no, well, she was tired and needed a ride. Okay. And she gets she's, in, my, she's my niece. And, and she gets in She gets in the car, and I notice that she's got the, the slice across her... What do I care? Well, because she probably, she might be very prone to rip you off, too. How about any of the prostitutes are prone to rip you off? No, no, no. The smart ones, or shall we say street savvy ones, know that the most dangerous things that they could ever do is disrespect or rip off a client. That's the best way to get dismembered, slashed, or killed. Is that right? Yeah. And I reminded Darla of that just before she was murdered by the Spokane serial killer. You seem to know an awful lot about prostitutes. That's because I've done a lot of in-person investigation, especially for my <laughs> of, body count. Of, my body. Let me ask the good doctor. Is Burl a little, a little uh, you know, a little too, too knowledgeable here? Well, it sounds to me like he's done a lot of in-depth research. That's correct. Yes, I have. What's his banging? Uh, that was good, on? actually. I don't know. What are you... Uh, hang on a second. What are you with the hand motion? Because I keep hearing... Oh, it's not me. Well, it's, it's my heart. Uh, I, I, thought you, I thought you wanted a fly. No. See, I was I was in a motel room with this guy cutting up a quarter block of here, cocaine. Here we go. <laughs> and in comes his girlfriend, very good looking, wearing uh, little uh, jean shorts with uh, no panties. 
and she sits down. We're having pizza, just talking about the weather, and she brags that she just ripped a guy off for six hundred dollars. And it was very stupid of her because uh, what the deal was is he was a real nice, clean uh, guy, a traveling salesman who wanted to put her up in the finest hotel in town for the weekend, all expenses paid, pay her $600 and do this twice a month, every month for a year because that was his contract. Now, this is a woman who usually works like $20, $40 dates out on the street, but a great deal for her, right? She'd be safe. She'd be well paid. But... Can't fake that far in advance. She gets the first 600, says she's going to go get a pack of cigarettes and doesn't go back. And I said to her, Darla, this is how women in your line of work wind up dead. Because you may not remember him, but he will never forget you. Men are very emotionally vulnerable when they're doing a transaction with someone such as you because they're doing it to avoid the fear of rejection. And doing that is the ultimate insult. And that's how you could wind up dead. And she did. I would do it for, uh, uh, not the fear of rejection, but the fear of my, my wife. Yes. Oh, you bring your wife with you. I do? Yeah, that's the best way to do it. Oh, okay. Ah, well, that way she gets to you know, hang out and I don't have to... She just that's right. She could join in. There was, oh, a, there was a couple... Oh, uh, oh, he used to come to Las Vegas, a guy and his wife, they get a, a cheap motel room and uh, get some uh, workers and they say, turn my wife into a whore. And uh, they they'd do that and uh, then they go back to the MGM Grand and then back to their palatial estate. Once the again, Dr. Bond, <laughs> way too knowledgeable here. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I was as, a, as we were talking about this, and as a, or I should say, as a, I was listening, it also brought to mind both Joel Rifkin as well as the um, so-called Long Island serial killer. In, in Rifkin's case, he, he ended up being the most prolific serial killer in the uh, history of the state of New York. Killed seventeen prostitutes, but New York didn't even know they were dealing with a serial killer until they caught him, and and, and he confessed of all the cases. They just had, they hadn't linked them. Is, so that, he, is that Rifkin? R I F K. Yes. Is there any? Do you think there's any tie into the former president of William Morris? (laughs) Well, look, if you sign with William Morris, you disappear. So it makes sense. (laughs) And they're a bunch of whores. (laughs) (laughs) That um, pump. Boy, I'm sure glad we're on top of this story. And also the the Long Island serial killer who is still at large. And I've been saying for several years now that uh, this would be the biggest uh, uh, murder case in, in the, the history of the United States if he had been killing uh, Wall Street executives as opposed to um, you know, transient uh, That's right. uh, sex workers. Let me, uh, let me ask you a side question uh, relating to that topic. We've been watching on the news for the for last few days uh, what appears to be um, a culture of uh, women not... Crimes against women not being as serious as uh, perceived seriously as others. Oh, crap. what are you talking about? Uh, oh, I mean, in all seriousness, what oh, are you? Uh, hang on, I got this man. Yeah, uh, and it's not about lefty or righty. Yes, it is. Oh, sure, no, it is. Yeah, here we go. Yes, it is. Yeah, it's black and white over there in the production hold this booth for the next show. Here you right. have an instance where uh, an individual comes to his authorities and say, "I." I knocked my fiance out cold. Yeah, you have to wait for a video before you do something about it. What's the the big crime there? Hang on a second. Obviously, they did the wrong thing. Obviously, and by the way, I don't even see why that's a news story. The the guy wasn't. I don't. He was not charged by the by the Atlantic City Police or the New Jersey Police. So there's no charges against him. So all it's 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 an employer employee thing, and they get to do whatever they want. They and they did. They did the wrong thing. Okay? They did the wrong thing. It's not about being left or right or whatever it is. They were stupid. Okay? They were dumb. 
Dumb. D-U-M-B. Roger Goodell, stupid. And you should resign. Stupid or dumb? Both. Both. Dumb is you can't speak. This is an, uh, just an, uh, an underlying cultural thing. Oh, because no. you're making it one. You want to okay. make it one? Go ahead. No, she holds off the slugs. Sammy pops her in the jaw. Yeah, seriously, that's where Matt comes in with his... Yeah, it's, it's not. It's made up by the left media. No, the media is not left. The media is off and right or correct. <laughs> but this goes right back to what we were talking about. Is it a story? A story that's a non-story, which I think that is, eclipsed everything else. It's the bro, you're wrong. It's not a non-story. It's a story. It's a story. I'll debate, debate that all day. It's just that the guys, everybody, everybody. I don't think the story is that important. A little less conversation, a little more action, please. Hi, this is Zach Gustine, and if you own a cell phone, and we know you do, or ride a plastic pony in front of Albertsons, you are no longer tied to your computer. You are now safe to roam while Barstow's burning and take Outlaw Radio with you everywhere you go. Grab an Outlaw Radio app from RadioLoyalty.com. The smoking, drinking, interrupting 24-hour party that you follow now follows you. Your cell phone or Apple device is now the easiest way to stay connected with your friends on Outlaw Radio. You know the demons of decadence. Change the way you listen to radio seven days a week. Now available free at RadioLoyalty.com. Just punch in Outlaw Radio. See that, Mike? You stay on script. Back to true crime. Uncensored. With Burl Ben. And Howard Lapidus, featuring Mark C.G. Boyer. Hi, I'm Burl Bear, taking time out of my busy schedule hosting this program. Don't, don't do a plug. I'm not doing a plug. I'm really, setting up I, our guest, the I, guy who was supposed to be talking this hour. And he's going to talk because I'm about to get to something, a, a transition that, that takes Oh, you're, you're finally going to transition. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Here's the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Who made this Ray Rice thing a story? The media? The authorities. The audience. The audience. TMZ. TMZ. You know, that's the media. But, but uh, Scott. Yeah. Is this, is this a story uh, uh, about the NFL? Is this a story about the cultural subject, subjugation of women, uh, which it isn't? Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's, what is this? How do you see it from a media standpoint? You're a media doctor. Well, I think I think the uh, the media are driving the story, but the reason that they're driving the story is because the the public is eating it up. You know, it, it, it's the, the public is is part of this entire process, and uh, I mean that that's really why I wrote the the book about serial killers. My book about serial killers is not so much about serial killers as it is with the public's macabre fascination with serial killers. And it's the same thing here. It's, it's the, you know, of course you've got that, that video, you know, the, 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 the punch, and that is, uh, you know, I mean, it's a, a pretty powerful image, and, um, and, and the public is fascinated with it. And, and if, if the, all of these articles didn't continue to get hits, and if there wasn't uh, an interest, then, uh, you know, the, the story would quickly die. So, uh, you know, Wait, the answer is... The, no, the, the media, the media is fueling it, but the um, but the, the audience doesn't the, respond. The audience is there. there. The audience is there, and they're responding. But talk to me about the belly of the, of the cable news beast. I mean, it is deep. It is it's, it is hollow, and it needs to be filled every day. Well, absolutely. But you know, this is what we're talking about here is an extremely 
complicated uh, thing when you when you get into domestic violence and and abuse and stuff like that. And there's all kinds of stereotypes. There's a, a history of the criminal justice system really not not even wanting to deal with these kind of issues. I mean, I actually I talk about a lot of these issues in my criminology classes um, every year. You know, they, they, in all 50 states now, there are mandatory arrest laws. And you know, what I mean by that is if the cops come to your house, either because uh, someone made a phone call that there's a, a, you know, a domestic disturbance taking place or they simply are driving by and they see something happening and they have probable cause, whatever, somebody's going to get arrested. And that was, these laws came into uh, being because of uh, advocates um, uh, for for victims saying that um, this cycle of violence oftentimes escalates into uh, serious injury and death when uh, the the the, uh, the the individuals are not separated and and um, uh, you know and, and and the aggressor is removed from the situation and um, and courts have never liked uh, dealing with these situations and um, oftentimes victims are are re-victimized in court when they have to relive the experience talk about what happened to them and then of course they're shredded by uh, by defense attorneys. Let me ask you something. So, hey, let me ask you this. Sorry to stop you. These, you're extraordinarily interesting here uh, for a change. But the, the uh, <laughs> but the uh, you know, I can kids yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so but I thought to do a basic and simple, um, male or female, we're not supposed to hit anybody. Isn't that right? Isn't that battery? You're, I mean, just in general, you're saying we, we, one should not strike another human being? Yeah, that's it's, absolutely true. And it's against the law, right? Right, sure. Okay, so wh why is this not against the law when Ray Rice you know, clocks her in the, in the elevator and drags her with her butt hanging out, uh, out outside the door? I mean, what, why is that not battery? Well, I think it is, it, but it's, uh, you know, the question is, are charges filed? Uh, no, they're they're not. Why, why, and the question is, why wouldn't the police, and they, you've got two, uh, there's two elements of police on that, that area, the New Jersey uh, State Police and, and the... And the uh, well, she didn't want to file charges, she wanted to marry him. I don't care. Well, if she decides not to press charges, maybe they is are... That, is that right, Scott? Maybe their hands yeah, are tied. No, absolutely. If, if the victim is unwilling to press charges, oftentimes they're, they're, they don't uh, 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 file charges it, against Is the there individual. not something... Because it's simply... Because... Uh, if the if the victim's not going to uh, not going to cooperate, uh, you don't have much of a case. Well, I mean, here you have your victim not only cooperating. That fool Roger Goodell uh, brings the two of them into the same hearing, which is the last thing you do is bring in the the uh, the person that, that that did it with their the. Well, the she's victim. married to him. She's not going to testify against him. I anyway. don't care whether she's married or not. You're going to get a different answer. I want to go on to another one, Scott. Did you see the one about the 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 black are you guy? Are you cutting me up? Yes, I am. The black guy and the host. I can do that. The, <laughs> the, the, the black guy who is handcuffed in the back seat of the cop car for we don't know why yet who supposedly shoots himself in the back I, I heard about that, but I don't much, know much of any of that. Yeah, story. there was a, uh, a call into the cops of a uh, altercation or disturbance at a convenience store or something, and they show up and they're interviewing people. And this guy and his buddy apparently happened to be in the uh, in the store. I don't think they were involved in the altercation. For some reason, he winds up uh, handcuffed and put in the back of the police car. 
Uh, of course, after he's frisked and patted down and, and all this, and he's going, but hey, 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 I got to hold my wife or whatever. So this this unknown piece of crap story is what you interrupt. And so he, he somehow manages to get a gun while he's hands are handcuffed behind his back and then shoots himself in the back with his right hand when he's left-handed. Oh, good. This sounds highly suspicious to me. Scott, do you think this sounds rational? It sounds it, it sounds a little questionable. It sounds a little questionable, but yeah, one of the more uh, 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 prominent stories this week, uh, though not nearly as big as Ray Rice, it probably actually would have been bigger if it wasn't for Ray Rice. Is uh, the Blade Runner Oscar Pistorius? Oh, yeah. and, you know he he was there on 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 trial for uh, murder. murder, and he was uh, he was found not guilty of first degree murder. But the judge, and they, they have bench trials there. They don't. They, it's not a full jury. It's a bench trial just before the judge. And the judge found him guilty of culpable murder, which is essentially the same as negligent manslaughter. And negligent manslaughter, negligent homicide. Yeah, well, there's a difference. Yeah, well, no. This is this is. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. They don't. Uh, they don't have manslaughter. Right, right. Negligent murder, which is essentially the same thing as manslaughter. Okay, their their negligent murder would be essentially what we would have uh, as manslaughter. What's he going to serve? This guy going to serve about eighteen months if it's, if it's a day. Something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah something like and that. And he can only wear and one of his thing. blades for the rest of his life. Yeah, that's funny. Right, right. <laughs> but now the, the thing the thing about this you know this this case that it just made no sense from day one is. He, uh, Pistorius claimed that there was an intruder, that he heard, that he heard a sound. Now, he's got the living girlfriend. Wouldn't one turn to see if one's living girlfriend was still in bed before they went, you know, rambling around the house and get a, get a loaded gun? Make sure no. that she was safe. No, he doesn't do that. He gets his blades on and uh, go gets a gun, and then he hears noise inside the bathroom. Ooh. Wouldn't a reasonable person open Funny, the door? Is that you? <laughs> Wouldn't one? Yeah, exactly. No, he starts blasting away through the door, <laughs> not having accounted for his girlfriend in the first place. This, oh, I mean, this is, has smelled like uh, oh yeah, you know, right like, like, in the beginning. Like, I just it smelled uh, like week week old sushi, you know, from day one. <laughs> I dated a few of those. Have now, they uh, have they come down with a? With a yeah, they, yeah, well, no, the, do no, I? No, no, they, they just diverted. We, we get to wait a month for that. Now, uh, our friend Darren Cavanoki hosts Deadly Sins, and there's an episode in season four where there's this uh, the girl is horribly, brutally murdered, and one of the, the the girl arrested for it cuts a deal with the prosecutors instead of getting potentially life. Uh, she gets ten years if she testifies against the person she says really did it, who I believe and I say, uh, is is not guilty. Yeah. But because she's wearing, they have friends go to her while they're wearing a wire to record her. They go, do you feel any remorse about, uh, you know, uh, Jen's death? And she says, no, the bitch had it coming. It was her or me. You don't say it was her or me if someone else did it. (laughs) (laughs) But the guy whose story never changed from day one of, I wasn't there, I don't know. He was consistent, but based on her testimony, they found him guilty. I think they're uh, hopefully I think they'll be overturned. What are we going to talk about? Uh, yeah, we are. Yeah, we both we better get to we that. Got two minutes. We got no. We have a little longer than that. But we're having so much fun and suicide. Such a depressing topic. Uh, you did write a big article about suicide, though. Should we save it? The ones you, then they have to come back again, and we have to put up with them. Oh yeah. <laughs> While we're, we're talking about actually, you know, crazy uh, changing stories and, and so forth, another one that's, that uh, is, is comical in the way, the way it played out was um, uh, Jody Arias. 
And you remember, you know, her, her story is she, now she's been found guilty, first degree murder of killing Travis Alexander, but she, her original story was that she wasn't even there when, when he was killed. And then they found her bloody palm print uh, on the wall. And, uh, and then she said, okay, I was there, but there were masked ninjas who came in and, and killed the Turtles, they're like turtles. Be, because, but because they were masked, of course, I had no clue who, you know, who they were. And, uh, but then by the time the trial started, the, the evidence had mounted against her so greatly that she said, no, 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 I did murder him, but I'm a battered woman, and, and it was really self-defense. Yeah. Well, Jody Harris is the gift that keeps on giving in my, my book. Yeah, we got to keep her alive, so we can milk that cow forever. We 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 had shows. Now she can no longer benefit financially from. uh, No, but we can. We can dig up dirt from her house and sell it by the bag for twenty dollars. Yes, we can. (laughs) But she was actually there for a while, funding her own defense with her courtroom doodles and and uh, drawings. She was selling them on eBay. She was huge. so Until this. the point where she was actually convicted, she was able to get the money for that. She can no longer. Get yeah, it. Didn't she, they, uh, she can really. She can like take a cruise or something and spend the money, like, you know, on, on herself, enjoy. Yeah, well, she's in prison. I know. A weekend is as far. The red light, uh, red light bandit. What was his name? Uh, God, I can see it in my mind. The red light bandit. He wrote books and also said he made money. Good. Please. Then you had the serial killer. I love this. This is like something of a movie. I don't know if you know this one, Scott. It's in, uh, in France. The guy is in prison as a murderer. He has great literary talent. So because he has this great literary talent, they let him out of prison. He becomes a true crime writer and a major successful journalist. Well, then he's working, he's writing about the serial killer case in France. Turns out he was the serial killer he's writing about. <laughs> Uh, well, uh, how did I not uh, guess that coming? But, well, that, this, but this is true. Yeah, I, I see it coming. Yeah. That's one of the one of the more it makes uh me think about one of the more interesting serial killers of all time that I that I've uh become aware of and studied is um Ed Kemper, the co ed killer. Yeah. Uh, out in California, who you know, he really fantasized about killing his mother. That that's who his ultimate goal was, but he started killing co eds along the way. But but uh, what's so fascinating about him is that he became the um, uh, 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 a, a regular at the bar where the cops would would drink who were pursuing the co-ed killer, and he became their their drinking buddy. He, they called him Big Eddie because uh, Ed Kemper is six foot nine and almost three hundred pounds, and they just thought that he was this uh, you know uh, obsessed with, with with crime stories and stuff. And it turns out that you know Ed was the killer. He can't see the forest for the trees. Well, that's like up in Alaska, the guy with the donut shop. The cops are sitting in the donut shop looking for the serial killer who's flying him up to the frozen tundra, giving him a ten minute head start, then hunting him down like animals. Yep. And uh, that yep. was that, that would be uh, Sarah Palin. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but she's in the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. To make it more fair, and, and it was the polar bears. Yeah, really. Okay. Yeah, the dangerous species, humans. The joke was over after I said Palin. Yeah, then I'm bummed. <laughs> You know, oh. she's in, she's, she's, have you seen the latest that there was some sort of a bloody brawl? How? Yes, house yeah, yeah, I saw that. Boy, I tell you, that white on white crime gets very little coverage. Yeah, let's go. She, she could have been the president, the vice president of the United States. She could have been the president. Hard what's his name with the screw loose? Uh. Yeah, but he's. Fine. I like. Him. Well, I voted for him. What you did? You see what the, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said? That was the way he has a book out. He was chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff under uh, whatever I like, three, three Bush, Bush, and Bush. Bush. Yeah. 
Uh, and they, they asked in the book, he's, he's asked about, uh, uh, you know, who, who, what was these different people like, uh, Rumsfeld and the uh, uh, guy you just mentioned who ran for president. He said, he's got a screw loose. <laughs> and his brother said, he's a psychopath. Well, there you go. So, but then again, well, they're think, all in politics. What do you expect? I was going to say, I uh, say, you can look at both sides of the aisle. Yeah. They're all nuts. Do you guys mind if I made a little unabashed, unabashed uh, uh, plug here for a book signing event in New York? Uh, oh, please. oh, please do. Everyone's going to write it down on their calendar. I, I disagree. <laughs> so it's two against one. All right, go ahead. <laughs> no, on, uh, on October 23rd, which is a Thursday at 7 o'clock, there, uh, Barnes and Noble uh, on the, uh, the Upper West Side, uh, Manhattan on Broadway, uh, hosting a um, uh, yeah a book signing for uh, for me and my friend Diane Diamond, who wrote oh, yeah. to my book, is uh, going to be um, uh, there and she'll be hosting the event. And we're going to have some discussions about serial killers. I'm going to do some readings from the book and uh, you know, of course, uh, sign books along the way. So it's she's cool. A, We've had her on the show before. I'd like to have her back and grill her like a swordfish too. Yeah, she, oh, she's a, she's wonderful. She's, she's a very uh, very nice lady. Because uh, yeah, we uh, yes, use her on another podcast that I do. Well, we'll, we'll wrap her in tin foil before we grill her. <laughs> is, is that right? Yeah, hold the juices yeah. in. Hey, was that more of uh, great humor? <laughs> <Just that? laughs> okay. We're trying to train Mark. He's not a trained professional broadcaster. No. He used to be a criminologist. Then he got into broadcasting. <laughs> the old <laughs> switcheroo, the old great reversal. The old the old tin foil joke. Yeah. Mm. Well. And I oh, um the... Uh, the the details, the specific details of the store location and everything are on my website, docbond.com. Docbond.com. Uh, so is that on, uh, on Broadway and the Upper West Side? Yeah, Broadway. Uh, Broadway, Broadway and, and what's the cross street? Have you got the cross? Because the listener really yeah. needs to know. Yeah, the listener, they're taking notes, Howard. If they're going, if they're going yeah, we'll tell them about it next month when it gets closer oh, to it. Oh, damn. Yeah, 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 fine, yeah. Man. You probably want to know who else is going to be on our show in the coming weeks. Uh, I can't even pronounce her name. Uh, <laughs> she's the uh, the woman who started the first P uh, PTSD treatments in America. She's the one who went to battle for our vets over Agent Orange and won. Uh, quite an amazing woman. She's going to be our guest next week. And the week after that, right after Rosh Hashanah, is Rabbi Mark Borovitz, author of the book Holy Thief, which we already know the intro to the show. Is he going to be in studio? He's going to be sitting right there. Uh, fantastic. And should I bring a talus? And bring a talus, a yarmulke. Uh, yeah. And we already have the intro. A rabbi, a thief, and a con man walk into a bar. That's the first guy. Because yeah. <laughs> he used to be in public. You're, you're going to do that joke again. Again, I'm going to do it when yeah. rabbi's here. Uh, i got all my rabbi jokes prepared. Foolish. foolish. No, I was thinking what? Uh, better than ham, isn't it? <laughs> what? That's better than ham? slide to a rabbi joke. Yeah. Well, the meal was prepared. The entire show will be prepared under rabbinical Here's supervision. How you do the jokes. <laughs> you just don't do the punchlines, okay? <laughs> you do do the setup, right? And but then you, you don't want to hear the jokes. So well, then you don't do the punchline. <laughs> well, James Garner used to just call out the punchlines. He's dead. <laughs> and that was his punishment for doing that. Hey, Scott, Scott always a pleasure to have you listening to the show when you're the guest. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Well, my, tell me my pleasure to be here, and, and uh, let's do it again and actually talk about suicide next Okay, <laughs> okay I'll, I'll get depressed first and give you a call. Okay, we'll do it sooner than later. Thanks, Scott. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Go buy his book. See, I wonder what's next. What's I don't know. I was going to ask you, bro, what's uh, coming up next? Magic Man Allen, the Demons of Decadence, live in the Lounge with Outlaw Radio USA, the standard of the industry.